0: So, uh, Martin, here we are. <laughs> yes. I was just, can I just say something? I've just come back from Corfu and I feel like I've taken the weather with me. And we're outside the VA. Is this uh, one of your fave museums in well, your top five?
1: So, um, I do love it. I love their exhibitions especially. But there's, there's some beautiful things here. But the trouble is it's massive. So, really, you just need to come and look at one or two things or one gallery. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we're standing outside this huge entrance, arched entrance with... Victorian sculptures about the excellence of art, and 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 you know it's incredibly grand.
0: But it's so London, though, isn't it? It's yeah. such a typically London museum with its but you know, grand it's... entrance and slightly biblical stru- uh, statues. That,
1: but it's a funny one. I was, it's I was quite funny... intimidating, isn't it? But on the other hand, I was reading that it, the person who started it purposely let it open in the evenings way back in the 1850s so that working class people who were working could come in and actually oh, see things nice. here and it was actually, when it was set up, it was the first museum that actually thought that a wider population might use it. Oh cool We'd better go in
0: Yeah, let's do it. See what we can find Hi, I'm the podcaster and director Bobby Jay here at the V&A And I'm her
1: friend Martin and this is Meet, Meet Me at, at, at the, the, the Museum, museum.
0: we got that in unison we nailed that Wow. I remember yeah. I came to a party in here. They do they really, did, really uh, yeah. good parties. They
1: did loads of uh, workshops and performances and events and a DJ and a yeah. party.
0: Yeah. I've, um, I think I've come to the events more than I have the actual and, museum. And
1: we're standing in this this like the, this entrance hall with this massive great yep. chandelier which yeah. I think was Originally, from what I remember, was supposed to be just a, a Christmas tree, a version of a Christmas tree. That they is supposed it. to be a
0: Christmas tree. I think
1: it was, and then it, then they kept it. It was so good.
0: Do you know what it Funny reminds thing is me it's of?
1: Ukraine colours. Do
0: you know what it reminds me of? Um, you know those clowns that do those balloons.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a million
0: of those poodles and oh, those balloons it stuck does. together.
1: I like That's that. Cool. We've got a dome, and hanging from this dome, what must be a really, really, really strong chain, is this massive. Chandelier in sort of phantasmagorical shapes, all made of glass, blue and yellow glass, with with kind of bits of it coming out like snakes and other bits of it, as you say, like balloons. It's really it's quite something, isn't it? Wouldn't like it to land on my head.
0: Hi, welcome to the Victorian Albert Museum. Thank you, thank
1: you. And we've got our art passes, our national art passes. Oh,
0: lovely. Well, that will get you fifty percent off our exhibitions. Enjoy your day. So, Martin, here I am at the v with you, and I picked you in particular because you were my history teacher in secondary school many, many, many years ago, but you never, ever taught me a single class. I taught all your family except for you. You taught all my siblings, all five of them, except me. So I thought, you know what? We're at the v It's full of history. Why not get you along? And you can... Oh, play the part no, of being my history teacher. I'm going teacher to be your history for once. teacher for the yes. day. <laughs> Why not? It's, it, we're we're do it.
1: We've been to lots of kind of cultural things together yeah. haven't we we've been to we've been to plays we've been to um exhibitions we've we we, we in fact our friendship started with yes. us talking about books and plays and yes. films Absolutely. and actually deciding to do them and a long time ago i remember we went to see the play festin and we've been to museums and galleries yeah. and so on so it kind of makes sense for us to meet yeah. and come to somewhere like the v together yeah. and just bounce off the objects and bounce off each other
0: yeah exactly
1: we're just entering the Design 1900 to Now Gallery. It's recently reopened, I think, so there's... Um, I haven't seen it since it reopened, so it's the first time I'll be seeing this gallery.
0: And I haven't seen it at all, so shall we have a little yep. gander? It feels like we're on the top floor looking down at this. What would you, how would you describe it? Well, like It's like a sort of a, a big balcony, isn't
1: it? <laughs> it's a like balcony. a well, isn't it? In, in the...
0: Yeah, like, imagine those uh, Moroccan riads
1: where you can yes, see the roof and
0: um, yeah. there's a big skylight above us yeah. there's three flags here but they're all made up flags they're not real are they
1: they are that's well yeah they are indeed and the, 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 these three flags are sort of sticking out on poles hanging over the great big Full mast, space and um, the middle one is well it's it's a kind of it's a kind of orangey colour.
0: Yeah, with a black with a black horizontal stripe going through sort of three yeah. quarters of the way down. That looks a bit like a. It's got all the rainbow colours. The that, first one that, that looks
1: a bit like the, the right. LGBT plus flag, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, like it's not quite.
0: And this one looks like every single colour.
1: Yeah, lots and lots exists, of thin stripes of all but sorts but of colours. In, yeah, in thin stripes. Um.
0: And I think Martin, um, we are going to meet someone who's going to tell us more about these these flags. Mm-hmm. There's a video projected onto the screen here and I'm constantly posing for shirtless selfies. So there's, it's basically Piccadilly Circus, isn't it? Yeah. I want to say on a time-lapse but it's just Piccadilly Circus being recorded and...
1: <laughs> there are lots of panels uh, with, with extracts from what people are texting to each other.
0: Texting or thinking or doing. Yeah. So there's one that says looking for a man with a bright oh, yeah. red flag on a pole well, and she's speaking. lost her tour group. Literally, the patriarchy is another one. Check my swag, pointing yeah. to a man who has voice swag. staring at
1: people. Oh, there's a there's a guy sort of standing there staring, and it's the comment next to it was, "Where are the girls?" I wish
0: I was a person who could have some light. Don't make me go red. I want to go green. So these are sort of a concoction of
1: people's thoughts and. was so artist Carl McDonald's called "Watching Each Other," a crowdsourced description of twelve hours in Piccadilly Circus. So what did he do? He uploaded video footage of Piccadilly Circus, the people around it, and invited the public to add tags to it. I see, I see. OK. So he's getting people to put tags on. So he's it's thinking about mass surveillance. Sur- yeah. And in this artwork, this film of people at Piccadilly Circus is being watched by people, the general public, who are commenting on it, on um, what might be being said or what... yeah.
0: Just looking at some of the funny comments. Some of the quite USA, funny. USA. USA. And this guy's got yeah. a gilet, gilet, gilet on, with USA emblazoned on the back. And,
1: and there was a group of young women, and there was obviously a man talking to them, and somebody's <gasps> added, you guys are such jerks.
0: Uh, have you seen this one? I've pooed myself. Yeah. Anyway, we could go on forever. Yeah. It's quite funny when you, when you lose yourself in it.
2: Hello. Hi, Hi. Hello. Corinna. I'm Poppy, this is Martin. Martin. You're very welcome. Thanks for coming, it's a pleasure. Yeah. So I'm Corinna Gardner, I'm Senior Curator of Design and Digital here at the V&A, okay. but also responsible for the Design 1900 to Now galleries, of course with a brilliant team a set of colleagues that we're standing in now. Cool. Fantastic. So let's start with the Refugee Nation flag. Yeah. It's just to the side of us and it hangs over a light well within our gallery spaces We've got three flags hanging as part of the design 1900 to now displays, and the refugee nation flag is the one in the middle. Um, It's orange and black, and it's designed by a Syrian refugee, Yara Saeed, who herself fled across the seas to find safety. Um, And her point of inspiration were all the life jackets that Mm. we see often disposed on the beaches, but also that these individuals wear to stay safe. So you can see the black and the orange of that. But the motivation to create the flag was the Olympics in Rio, which was the first time there was a refugee team, so it was made up of ten athletes. Um, It wasn't an official federation, so in some ways quite frustratingly, they weren't actually able to carry the flag, but in one of these brilliant acts of community and solidarity, other athletes sported the flag, and it was seen across Rio, but also then others enjoying the Olympics elsewhere across the globe. Mm.
1: I'm going, to, I'm going to suggest that your family were also a refugee family. Yeah. And, and you know, your dad came here from Bangladesh was probably 70s. in the 70s. Yeah. So why are people coming from Bangladesh in the 70s? Well, on the one hand, many of them come cause of the civil because of the, the war with Pakistan that happened in 71. But many others are coming simply to make a better life. Yeah. And why do you come to make a better life? Because it's not there in Bengal, in Bangladesh. Mm. And why is it not there in Bangladesh? Well, they're refugees from the British Empire.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, why do people come here? Because the British were there. You know, Bengal that was the richest part of the whole of Asia before yeah. the British came. Then, you know, became a byword supposedly for poverty. And people came here in order to earn money to take back to their families and found that they had to stay. And, and so in that sense, your dad and the other people of that generation may not have seen themselves as refugees. Yeah. They may see themselves as e- economic migrants. But yeah. really, they were. They were refugees from a world system that forced them to leave where they were, mm. and that was Empire that did that. Definitely growing up as a
0: first-generation British Bangladeshi in a household of about six million, and a lot of other Asian kids, I imagine, who come from a very similar background to me, because you, your family values at home are very Bangladeshi, the values outside are very British, and like... I mean, we're still talking about this in 2022. You sort of grapple with those two forms, with those two identities constantly, and they clash, Mm. I think, more times than people would like to admit. And as when you're a Muslim as well, sometimes those values, you know, lifestyle choices, etc., don't necessarily go with how you might want to live your life. So that does inform a lot of my work. Perhaps Mm. now a lot more consciously, but certainly back then, it was what I would naturally veer towards. Um, and it's interesting in 2022, I'm, I'm still talking about those same themes.
1: Because they haven't been resolved. No, I and mean, it's not only, no. you know, I mean, we also, when we meet, we talk a lot about identity.
0: Mm, yes. And,
1: and I mean, when you've ended up working in television, the programs that you've made, but also as podcasts that you've made, you've, you've taken on things which, are, which challenge within the Bangladeshi community but also challenge us outside that community to rethink how we see the community you've come from. And, you know, that's something that I think is, you know, from which I've learned a huge amount.
0: So, Karina, I hear that you've got the burkini on display. And it's really funny that we're about to see this because I've just come back from Corfu and I made a light joke about not wanting to wear a bikini and taking an actual burkini with me. So where is, where is this? I need to, like, have a quick look so I can maybe buy one for later.
2: Well, we've just moved into a section that's under the, the rubric or the title of Migration and Belonging. And here we have one of these swimming costumes. And they're designed to be modest. It's a burkini, It's a full body outfit. So it goes from head through to toe. It's two parts. And it was first designed in 2004 by Ahida Zanetti. She was a Syrian um, refugee or migrant, depending on perspective at that point in time, who went to Australia. And she observed that her young family, her cousins, were wanting to partake in a sporting culture that they found in Australia. But it was really tricky in their long sleeved garments. So They just got, it was inhibiting to a sense of new identity and community. So she designed these swimming costumes, which go all the way across the body, but also then became much more popular or well known because the um, lifeguarding schools and organisations in Australia adopted them as attire, again, to bring a new community to a new type of employment. Um, But the moment that it came into the museum was in 2016 when actually the object became much, much more politicised, yes. because there was a debate and a contest as to whether it was considered appropriate wear for women, particularly on the beaches of southern France. Mm. And within the context of the v that becomes quite interesting because the mm. idea of the female body as a site mm. for legislation has a long and mm. charged history. Yeah. Um, so that's what the object is here in the collection. So I'm looking at it now, and I remember this as clear as day because I
0: remember... This becoming a political um, item of clothing. It was all over the Daily Mail, the papers. Women shouldn't be wearing it. And I remember this exact, this exact design. Mm. And I think Nigella Lawson actually wore it on a beach somewhere. Mm. Yeah,
2: she did. Mm. Yes, Nigella Uh, was famously photographed. I think it might have been slightly earlier than this.
0: My um, being a British Bangladeshi and having sort of water all around us, my mum loved swimming. Um, And when she came to this country, she couldn't. You know, she went to the beach in her sari but clearly wouldn't be able to jump into the sea because it was, you know, yeah. she, she didn't have the right clothing. But if she turned up to Margate Beach wearing that, she'd get funny looks. Um, and I know that you can buy bikinis, but it's not necessarily mass-produced. You know, you can just walk into an M&S or a John Lewis and pick up a bikini, and it kind of makes me think about all the women who... Not so much me, because I wear a swimsuit or a bikini on the beach, but sort of my mother's age, the aunties who were cut out of beach life and, you know, effectively because they couldn't really show their bodies.
2: of what's within the design 1900 to now gallery is rapid response collecting it's these objects that come into the museum and go on display at the time that we are talking about them more broadly the bikini was one of those objects a number of years ago a more recent one is this set of vogue magazine covers from july 2020 and these women appear on the front cover there are three portraits for that one month issue and they are in their own clothes their work attire and they have not been styled or fashioned beyond how they choose to do so themselves. Mm. For this fashion title, this was a big deal. Yeah, But it was as much about the pandemic, who kept us going Mm. and the value and nature of work, Mm. but also the diverse range and the brilliance of individuals who make up society here in the UK that saw us through a world-changing event.
1: Yes, because you've got a health worker wearing kind of her... Her scrubs. Her scrubs and then Someone in
0: Waitrose, well, a supermarket. Yes. And then TFL. Talking yeah. about identity, I remember growing up, being brown, buying Vogue, well, when I could afford to buy Vogue, seeing just white women. And I remember these covers, and I actually was overcome with emotion because you saw people from all walks of life, mm. all colours, all backgrounds, the, the very people keeping society going, in a magazine that is, you know, I, I, love, I love Vogue. Like, it's a fashion bible for... so many of us and then you suddenly see yourself reflected back in this magazine cover Mm. yes in the midst of a global pandemic sure but still it counts right (laughs) you know we talk about identity a lot and being a child of immigrants and trying to fit in I remember when I was growing up as a young teenager you know I'd try and buy these very expensive fashion magazines and then they'd be like fashion bibles you sort of collector's items you know artwork in itself you'd kind of cherish every magazine i remember one day my sisters um doodled and put mustaches on all the models and i went i was so angry and so mad at them like do you understand what this is and they're like oh we just thought it was a coloring book of course they didn't and i suppose it was the like a lot of women from ethnic backgrounds trying to fit in you grow up Buying these magazines and always, and never seeing yourself. Naomi Campbell was the closest I got and she was only one black supermodel. So it does a lot of damage seeing white women constantly. and The, the, the Western ideal of beauty is white, tall, skinny, blonde, up blue-eyed. It's massively changed now because uh, you have the body positivity movement, you have inclusivity, diversity. You see models with headscarves now. With Vitiligo, you see plus-size models, you have black editor of Vogue. But at the time, it was really just white, 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 white. And so, in fact, I was so moved by it, I messaged Edward Inifel, editor of Vogue, on Instagram DM saying, this is extraordinary, can you show us something else really important in the rapid response collection, something that you've acquired here at the Yes, BNS?
2: happily. Let's go this way. We're just going to walk past the flag again. So we're moving into the second of the galleries that make up design 1900 to now, and this is one of the more historic spaces of the museum. It's a library room, but we're lucky because we can inhabit it with our 20th-century design and our contemporary objects.
0: Right. Okay. So we're in this grand, another yet another grand room at the V&A's. We've got huge chandeliers. Would you call them? Yeah, they like chandeliers. Three chandeliers across the room, and books that are as old as dinosaurs. I'm checking <laughs> books across the room and now we are looking at this is it this poster here yes it
2: is this giant poster part of your rapid response collection yes it is so we call it rapid response collecting but it becomes a collection as museum objects do so this is one of a series of five posters that we brought into the collection again at the time of the well the pandemic is still ongoing but in the last couple of years Um, it's a series of posters by a New York based artist at the time, Amanda Pingbok Bakhtiar, and she used a public commission to call out anti Asian hate crime mm. as mm. a woman of um, API, so Asian and Pacific Islanders heritage, as well as, you know, a broad sense of Asian community. She wanted to use her skill set, her tools, mm. to call out anti Asian hate crimes. And so working with the Commission for human rights in new york city she liaised with the transport authorities there and worked out where there were greater incidences of anti-asian hate crime and then created these really rather wonderful posters to be cited across the transport network so across the bus shelters the metro station systems in the city there are five portraits in the bus shelters posters And they're composites. So the women that look out at you are multi-generational, but they're also made up of the women in Amanda's life. And Mm. in a sense, she did that with the intent so that you might recognise, well, she says many people have come to her and I can see my auntie Mm. or I can see my sister. Yeah. Um, So we're looking at um, a huge poster
0: from uh, the artist by Amanda Pingbok Bakdia. It's a young woman um, who is looking directly at us. It's a sort of a, a turquoisey border and there's a slogan on the poster that says, I did not make you sick.
2: There are two things to me that kind of really bring it home. One of which is it took its own, its own identity. Mm. So members of the community and others made use of Amanda's tools of resilience, as she would like to call them, downloaded it, printed it and took it on rallies. Mm. That sense of protest and collective identity but also one of the stories that Amanda brought to our attention which has become resonant now in retrospect is that some of the posters were really unfortunately um defaced right. on the metro systems in New York City but the community there went back and made them better or improved oh, that wow. sense of It's a bit like the Marcus care.
1: Rashford story isn't yes, it yes
2: exactly the Marcus Rashford story here in the UK but here at the v we look after objects. We yeah. love them very much. Yeah. We like our visitors equally. But yeah. sometimes our visitors get very involved with the objects. And we have an incident, um, which of course we discourage, but it can't be without meaning in this context, where one of our... Or actually now two of our visitors have kissed these posters and left a lipstick mark, oh, which we've bless. had to address. I but see. in a sense of that same care, community expression of... Mm beauty power resilience and how you can feel part of through a design oh, thing that's...
0: so you've now had to cover it with a perspic glass because otherwise there'd be lots of
2: we're holding off those yes, individuals. yes exactly yeah. you
1: can see how that reaction comes because the, the image is so strong mm. it's and it's so kind of um it's warm i mean it's partly to do the the the, the colors are vibrant but the you've got this extremely sort of vibrant primary color almost background but was like a kind of wallpaper but you've got the face of this young woman is both strong and warm isn't it Mm.
2: yes and i think that's very much a quality that amanda wanted to invoke within Mm. these posters Mm. another one who says um the slogans i did not make you sick this is my home too Mm. it's that sense of a gentle kind soft
0: Mm. protest be with us yeah
2: come with us Help us. There are many ways to address mm. these challenges of um, deep, deep unpleasantness and hatred. Her expression,
0: her eyes are so. But yes. like, the way she's sort of piercing into your soul and the way she's looking at you is actually quite something. And just the use of colors as well. It's almost like if you were standing on the subway in New York City and it was just you and her, and she's mm. just that's all she's saying to you and that's all she wants you to understand is that I did not make you sick. And it's interesting that you say, you know, there's no exclamation marks. Like you can hear her saying it to you and she's not mm. shouting at you. She's, she's kind of informing you and telling you gently and trying to
1: get you on side. It's, like but it's she's incredible. kind of, she's sort of as a friend telling you off. <laughs> she's got that look, which is, uh, it, 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 she's got that knowing look. Yeah. Like, mm, you really, really need to understand this. Yeah.
0: I met you at a point in my life where I was... It was a difficult time for me. i just turned 18, maybe 18, 19, and had never had a boyfriend, had never been in a relationship. Suddenly the word marriage was being thrown around. And I think, paradoxically, like a lot of people from my kind of background, we we live so much of life. You know, we've, we're, we're guardians, we're third parents, mm-hmm. we help our parents, we interpret... We sort of raise our siblings, and in so many ways, we're adults, but in other ways, we haven't really lived. Um, so I'm still a child, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, sort of preparing myself mentally for this marriage that I sort of didn't really want. And you really, really helped me massively. I remember telling you and another friend who, sadly, I'm not in touch with anymore. And you was just like, why? Why are you doing this? Mm. Why? Why?
1: I remember being shocked because you you came back.
0: Yeah, you
1: came back from Bangladesh. Bangladesh and I was
0: like, yeah. And I was like, well, it's it's, it's happening. It's happened. Um, and it was a really difficult time in my life. But I'm I'm sort of glad that I did it because it it kind of it was a catalyst for a lot of things. I sort mm. of grew up really quickly in those very short, intense five years, mm. um, and became quite wizened quite quickly. Um, but you were. Uh, really being the only halal man that's allowed to come into my home. You sort of understood what was happening behind the scenes. And I think this is one of the reasons why I love you, because you really, you know, you are a white, middle-class man, and yet you have more friends from all over the world than anyone I ever know. And you just understand people, and you understand languages, and you understand culture, and you understand history. You understand all the nuances that... Often the very thing that white men today in the media are told off for, they don't, you know, they're constantly criticised because they don't listen, they don't understand, they're bigots, they're racist, are xenophobes, etc. Not all white men, but generally that is the rhetoric. And you, you symbolise literally the opposite of that.
1: These are photographs by, uh, by Neil Kenlock and taken in 1972... Um, one of them is a woman in front of a television. It's a so we've got, woman. in
0: my dad's photo album,
1: yeah.
0: almost when I was a kid, and I, I mean, like when I was five, um, in the 80s, early, mid-80s, yeah. almost all photos were in front of a television. Yes. And, of course, now it makes sense because it's the marker of success, right? Success. If you have a phone and a TV. And I'm now looking back and it's... But I'm also... putting two and two together and it's making sense. All of my early photographs yeah. as a kid... Or us standing or actually posing by the tv Amazing. using the tv as a kind of device yeah. where we've got our sort and of hands they get
1: sent back to bangladesh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah and there's a wall with two black framed pictures and their photographs and they're color photographs each of them of two different young people a young woman and a girl probably i would say age five or six or seven. And each photograph, they're photographed in a front room which is full of the iconic objects that were kind of very, very common in the front rooms of African Caribbeans living in Britain in the 1970s. And they're dated 1972. Um, Both of them are kind of... They're they're very much about those... um, The people being photographed being proud in that setting. It's about a real pride in what are beautiful rooms yeah. and it's incredibly flowery um uh, I was just carpets similar
0: to, to my house yeah
1: and very very oh, ornate mm. carpets and wallpaper but in your parents yeah. place it would be the, the picture of the kaba yeah the, um
0: yeah.
1: Uh, in mecca yes and what, what else would be on us on the walls I'm a few to... um
0: uh photographs from bangladesh about yes. bangladesh yeah God, it really is taking me back to my living room. Yeah, yeah. My grannies and my... Yeah. my but they're they not dissimilar at all. It's Very same sort of aesthetic in terms of upholstery, carpeting. Yeah. We would call... So you see that glass cabinet in the photograph with the woman yeah. who's sitting on the floor in front of the TV? So we'd call it a showcase. Yeah. And you'd show off all your fine...
1: Uh, crockery. Crockery, and, yeah, yes. Which you never use. Which
0: we'd never use. But, I mean, e- maybe for the Queen, if she were to ever come know, and visit...
1: You know, what, one thing we could do now is last year in 2021, in Refugee Week, the, the v set up a refugee trail of six items mm. aimed at families to help families go around and see items that kind of evoked understanding and stories about the lives of refugees in Britain. Um, Should we go and have a look at some of those? Yeah, let's do it. You know, we're, we're, we're in the VNA and I love the things that we've seen here. Mm. But where in London is there a permanent museum or gallery that tells any of those stories? Mm. The Jewish Museum does it about Jewish Jewish stories. The Black Cultural Archive, to some extent...
0: I think, given what we talked about, Martin, and the contribution of immigrants and refugees to any society and community, I think it's a shame that there isn't enough, not necessarily just here, but in a lot of the museums of... Uh, a gallery or work or or the contribution and the valuable contribution that refugees and immigrants bring to a particular corner of the world or society. like You just don't see it. They're not really given a platform. So I think through art, it's really the easiest way to give them a platform and give control over their narrative. You know, when you think about art and what it does, like you and I bonded through art and culture and films and, and galleries and so it's, and, and again, in lockdown, the key services stayed, but all the things that we loved, you know, this very museum had to shut down. We couldn't see, we couldn't go to plays anymore. The things that we, I suppose, they say we don't need these things, but I, I do think we need them for our mental health. I love these sorts of things, because it's almost like a time machine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're yeah. going back in time to a studio, what, between 1960 and 1965.
1: What we're doing is we're looking, it, it's a, basically we're looking at a room. There's a glass... Sort
0: of panelling, panelling in front. Panelling, protecting
1: yeah. it. Mm. But it's, it's a room, and it's a, it's, it's a Potter's studio it 's an artist's studio where an artist in pottery has you've got the you 've got the workbench you 've got a typewriter so we must be we're talk, we must be talking kind of typewriter looks as though it might be 1950s or 1960s we 've got weighing scales we 've got um, finished pieces bowls and and, and vases and we 've got also um, clay ready to be used and fired. Old yogurt pots with mm. with different implements within them. It's a reconstruction of the studio of a potter whose name was Lucy Ree and she was a refugee from Austria. She was, I'm guessing that she was a Jewish refugee because she came and set up uh, in Paddington. Came in 1938, so it would have been a Jewish refugee from Austria, born in 1902. So it's not only getting a sense of where a potter would work, a ceramicist Mm. would work, but it's also one of so many stories of refugees who come here or to other places and are extraordinary creatives and then become part of the story of Mm. art in, in this country.
0: It's a, it's, a, it's a moment in time. The only thing missing is her. Pro- you, you just feel like she's about to come in, sit, and yes, start, yes. start her, her, her pottery. But I love all the detail as well, you know, all of her paintbrushes and her bowls and the radio mm. and all the little trinkets and, that she'd have. And they in the have studio. created
1: it so you get the sense of it um, being in the middle of her work, you know, her overalls, her kind of mm. aprons are piled on the stool. And... The
0: one thing I wish you could have is um, a museum of smells. I wonder what it would smell like in there, because you often see objects and you see things, yes. but you don't really get the smell of something. Like, no, okay. I don't know, the smell of clay, or was she yeah. cooking, or was she eating in the same place, or I mean, I don't know. It just
1: kind of, yeah, it takes takes you it takes you know I smells. I do know one place which in London which does that. Really, yeah. the Dennis Severs house. I'll tell you about it later. I might take you there actually.
0: So we're in the ceramic section of the V&A, and. Uh, what are we looking at, Martin? Well, we're looking at a decorated looking at at beautifully
1: decorated, ornate dish. Beautifully, with sort of flowers painted all around the, the edge of the dish, mm. and it's in, in reds and greens, and in the centre, in kind of gold, you mm. have a very ornate design, a backdrop, and then some writing. And the writing, to me, initially, it looked like Arabic. Yeah, it looked it? In like fact, Arabic to me In as fact, well. it's not, it's Persian. And it says um, Khushamdi, which is welcome in Persian.
0: What do you think this dish was used for, then?
1: Well, it's interesting, because it's not from what's now Iran. It's where, where was it? It was Mumbai. So it's from Mumbai in the west of India. There's various possibilities. One is, I don't know whether it's come from Persia, whether it's made with a view to being sold to or sent to what's now Iran to Persia, mm. whether it's an expression of welcome to mm. Persians in Mumbai. I mean, what's interesting about it is that it says welcome. Yeah. And, you know, if you walk into many, many schools, I know a lot of schools in London, walk into many, many schools in London now, and you'll see the word welcome in lots of languages. So and, languages and one yeah. of them is that one, and it says exactly that mm. in that script. Um, so that idea of welcoming people, whether or not that we don't know why that was written, mm. that was made, whether it was made as a gift, whether it was made as a statement, whether it was made to sell, whether it was made to to, to export, um, whether it had been imported, mm. you know, those, none of those things we know. But what we do know it is in one country, and it is saying welcome in the language of another country. And I think that's what makes it interesting. It's a
0: powerful word, isn't it? Welcome. Yeah. Especially when it's said with sincerity and meaning.
1: When it's said with sincerity, yes. So yes. That's the that's big if, isn't it? And the big, mm. I mean, one of the things it makes me feel in this discussion we've been having is how welcoming are we to migrants and refugees? Mm. In my opinion, one of the things that perhaps is particularly the English rather than the Scottish and the Irish and the Welsh, that we have to get past is this sort of hypocritical idea that somehow we are these paragons of virtue. Mm. And it's how you know, we don't face empire. We don't face our responsibility for enslavement. And we don't face the truth, that the statement that we have a long, proud history of welcoming refugees and anti-racism. Where that exists, where we have successful cultural diversity, it's because people have fought for it. Mm. And the fighting has been done largely by migrant peoples, fighting for, fighting to belong. Now, the laws about immigration... And the laws about these have got stricter and more difficult in time. So it is much, much, much harder for any migrant, including refugees, to get into this country now than it was 10 years ago. And that was harder than 20 years ago. And that's harder than 50 years ago. And we pretend that, that, that we've been welcoming.
0: So we're nearly finished up now, Martin, but I think you've got one little surprise for me. Yeah, there's
1: an object I want to show you.
0: Show me. So, So Martin, can you tell us where we're going into Yeah, we're we're,
1: we're climbing the steps and we're going into the South Asia galleries and the object I want to show Poppy is facing us now and I think rather than me describing it, as Poppy's never seen it, before she even reads what it is, what can you see, Poppy?
0: So it's a tiger. I don't know what... Is it it made out of metal? It's a kind of a big uh, sculpture of a tiger and it has Painted wood. Painted wood, okay. So it's a big wooden sculpture of a tiger, which is about what... How many feet would you say that is? I mean, it's...
1: Well, it's the length of a human. Piece, it's a length of
0: a it? human. And it's on top of another human, not a real one, um, a sculpture of a, of a soldier. And the tiger has its teeth
1: firmly in this soldier's neck. And what... Nationality? would you think that they, they, the soldier... soldier
0: well, the soldier is definitely white, I'm yes. assuming British. British, yes. And the tiger is giving me lots of... very Bengal tiger. F- f- well, maybe it's from
1: India or... It is indeed from India. Yeah. And, uh, you know what I'll do? I'll, before telling you the story of it, I'll mm. tell you a little bit more because you can see that there's a handle.
0: Yeah, coming out of the tiger's coming out of the tiger, body. Yeah. The, tiger's
1: body. the tiger is mauling at the neck, this British soldier. And yeah. if you... Um, you can go online and see this actually working yeah. but if you open up do you see there's yeah, actually there's a, like door, a door in the back yeah. of the tiger if you open it up it is in fact a an organ inside and a whole load of pipes come up yeah and if you turn organ
0: like a church organ. like a church organ, okay
1: and 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 it, it works by there and if you turn this handle it pumps air through the organ and also there's a keyboard right And it pumps air through the organ and so it's possible, first of all, it is possible to play tunes on the keyboard. OK. And if you go up to the highest keys, mm. they sound like screams. Ooh. And at the same time as that's happening, the sound of the... Uh, it's actually the bellows pumping the air as you turn it, sound like the groans of the wounded soldier. Ooh. There is, in fact, if you go on the, the, the v website, you can find a, a video of a, an expert in Indian music... Who opens this up and plays on right. the tiger? And so you, you can, can hear, hear the, the sounds. Groans, you can and the hear the screaming. sounds, and he plays yeah. it, and so on. It's great. Mm. Tipu Sultan was a ruler in South India at the end of the 18th century. And this is, we're talking about the rise of the East India Company that took yeah. over the whole of India, had just taken it over. And the, the British fought with Tipu Sultan. So he was the British worthy enemy. Eventually, after several wars, Tipu Sultan was defeated and killed in battle by the man who became the Duke of Wellington, Arthur Wellesley, who was famous of the Battle of Waterloo later on. And Arthur Wellesley arranged, in fact... Some of the British soldiers started looting the palace of Tipu Sultan and so right. on after the thing, but he arranged for this object to be transported and come all the way to Britain. Right. Okay. So it is actually an object created to mock the British, and to, in my opinion, Tibur Sultan apparently loved it because it was this musical representation of the British soldiers being mauled by the tiger. And I think not only... It's a beautiful example of kind of resistance to, to empire.
0: Martin, what was your highlight?
1: I was really really enjoyed the design galleries. I really liked the way in which they focused on a few objects with with space around them so that you could really take them in and not have clutter, but most importantly, the way in which they put them in context. And they connected those objects with people's real lives. Mm. Um, Sometimes the work of the artist enables you to make that connection and it's when when the creator, when the artist is 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 actually um, you know creating an object or, or that that is done for a purpose, perhaps to make a point, mm. but is done in such a way that you feel connection with it, and therefore the point is made without you know it, it being ran down your throat mm. um, and I felt that the curators here had really thought about that, and they'd they'd thought about how do we make these objects speak Mm. to the people coming to them rather than just...
0: Telling (laughs) us, giving us information. My highlight is also the design gallery, and I think that you and I talked about coming back here to look at... Because this is the classic thing with the V&A, you can totally get lost in a section Mm. of an era. Um, But definitely that was one of my highlights. And a lot like you... I think seeing some of the items and it having some sort of meaning or resonance. Mm. You know, when we looked at the photographs from the 70s, that yep. was me looking at my living room. Yep. Looking at the burkini, having mm. all those difficult conversations with my mum, you, know, you know, growing up not being able to go to swimming pools, not being able to go to the mm. beach, because I come from a very conservative, traditional yep. Muslim household. My parents wouldn't have allowed me, I mean, mm. I wear well, what I like now, but they wouldn't have allowed me to, mm. to go to a seaside or go to the beach um in a in a bikini or a swimsuit the vogue Vogue front covers the vogue front covers is something honestly from from you know we talk about history they are part of history but really not from that long ago you know two years ago and i remember seeing the covers and having a real moment thanks for listening to meet me at the museum with me poppy j
1: and me martin spafford here at vna london
0: If you like this episode of the podcast, please rate,
1: subscribe or tell a friend. And don't forget, you can show your love for museums with a National Art Pass. It gives you great benefits at hundreds of venues while raising money to support them.